Hi, my name is Michelle Ann Olson, and welcome to Are You Afraid of the Bark? This is a podcast dedicated to the strange, the paranormal, the ghostly, the mythological, as they pertain to the animal world. Now, this is episode one of a newly revamped Are You Afraid of the Bark? I hesitate to say new and improved, just in case it's more of the same, But for those who were with me when I had launched the podcast initially a few months ago and worked out a few kinks, welcome back, and I'm really glad to have you back. And to those who are maybe listening for the first time, I wanted to take a moment to introduce myself, let you know who I am and what the podcast is about. So my name is Michelle, and I'm a registered veterinary technician in RVT. I currently work as an educator at an aquarium in Toronto, and all of that is to say that a big part of my life are animals. I work with animals every day. I have a passion for, in particular, marine animal, but all animal conservation and welfare, Animals are a huge part of my life, and they were even before I went back to school as a mature student to become an RBT. So that's a big part of my personality, is that love of animals. Also, when I was in university throughout my 20s, I held this amazing job as a haunted tour guide in Ottawa, Canada. And that was also a huge part. It's it's still a huge part of my identity. I did it for eight years. I'm pretty much a scaredy cat, a coward. But there was something so immensely gratifying about being spooked, about spooking others, about being able to talk about Ottawa's history through the lens of these ghost stories. It was just such a positive experience. Well, I mean, obviously, I did it for for eight years. This podcast came about one night, somewhere between being asleep and being awake, where I was thinking about how much I missed telling ghost stories, how satisfying storytelling, how important storytelling is to me, how much I missed it. And this sort of, I was also thinking at the time, I had questions about how animals fit into these experiences, these questions we have about what happens when a person dies, and these experiences that people have with uh, human spirits. And animals are mostly lacking from those stories. And I'm a fairly new RVT, and I've been confronted with more animal, you know, suffering in the past year and a bit than I had previously been exposed to on a personal level. And you start to wonder what happens to our animal friends after they die. And you, you just hope that they're still around in the same way that we hope that our human loved ones are still around after they die. So I have had and and continue to have all of these questions about the paranormal as it relates to animals. Anyway, I had been thinking about all of that in the back of my mind, and I kind of sat up in bed and I was like, this is what I want to talk about. I want to explore this topic further, the topic of animals and the paranormal. So that is the basis of this podcast. Now, when I initially launched a few months ago, I did have a co-host who is sadly no longer with me. She's not dead, 
that it sounded like she died. She did not. We're just, we had very different styles. So we decided to go our separate ways. So now I'm doing this on my own. And initially when I was working with her, we would do sort of this format where I would start off with a paranormal story and she would come in with a secondary story related to the first, but more rooted in science. Just so that you know, from here on out, I'm going to be focusing almost solely on the paranormal. That's where my area of interest is. So we're going to be leaving sort of the scientific stories to the side a little bit. Not to say that the stories I tell are not rooted in history or in scientific phenomena. If they are, I'll be sure to talk about it, but we're just sort of going to scrap that purely scientific segment. And I hope that that makes you happy. I know that my heart has always been in these ghost stories. If you have any like feedback about the new format of the podcast, please do let me know. It's continuing to grow. I'm continuing to try to learn as much as I can about the art of podcasting. Uh, so at the end of the podcast, I'll drop all of the ways in which you can get in touch with me and let me know what you think of this, this new version of Are You Afraid of the Bark? Already I'm noticing that talking to myself into my little microphone here in my den in my apartment in Toronto is tough. It's, it's nerve-wracking, but I'm just trying to imagine you, the audience out there, listening. And if you can hear bumps and creaks behind me, that is just my cat, Coco. <laughs> so I do apologize. Enough about that. Let's get started with this first story in this first episode of the rebranded Are You Afraid of the Bark podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about DC, the demon cat. Now, DC is a spectral sort of feline presence associated with the Capitol buildings in Washington, DC. So his initials, DC, stand both for Demon Cat and Washington, D.C., so that's quite clever to begin with. Stories of the presence of this demon cat entity at Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. date back to about the 19th century. For those who are not familiar with Capitol Hill, this was initially a building designed to house the remains of George Washington, which I believe were actually eventually buried in his... Oh my god, I'm trying to remember where George Washington was from. This is like a Hamilton lyric, and I can't remember. He was from Virginia. Anyway, his, um, his remains were eventually buried in his home state of Virginia. I can't believe I can't remember Mount Vernon. Oh my god. I'm like obsessed with the musical Hamilton, and that fact appears at least three separate times in the lyrics. That was really embarrassing. Anyway, Capitol Hill was built initially to house George Washington's remains, the first president of the United States. Today, this building is said to be haunted by the demon cat. At the time that the Capitol was built, Washington, D.C. had quite a significant rat problem. To my understanding, Washington, D.C. to this day is still one of the most rat-infested, populous, first-world cities in the world, but the problem was especially bad at the time of the construction of the Capitol. And so to take care of the rat problem, cats were brought into the Capitol, and they were sort of set loose to dispose of the rats. 
eventually as the rat problem was reduced these cats either wandered off uh, most of them were adopted by employees of the capital but the legend goes that at least one of these cats remains in the capital to this day now i have some quotes that i'll be peppering throughout my telling by a man named steve livingood and he's the chief tour guide of the U.S. Capitol Historical Society. And he says he gets asked about DC, the demon cat, all the time. He's not entirely a skeptic. These questions don't seem to bother him in any case. He sees it as part of the rich history of the Capitol building. Here's what he has to say about the demon cat. Quote, It's probably the most common of all the ghost stories in the Capitol, partly because of the physical evidence. Now, that physical evidence that he's referring to are a set of footprints that can be found in sort of a shadowed area of the Capitol building where renovations had been undertaken and fresh concrete was laid and footprints from a cat, seemingly from a house cat, mysteriously appeared in the drying concrete and they remain to this day. So apparently tourists come to the Capitol building all the time asking Living Good where those footprints are and using their flash to illuminate them and take pictures. So as far as he's concerned, like that's physical evidence of the haunting and it lends to the enduring power of the story of the demon cat. The most common version of the legend regarding DC says that a guard was on patrol one night when he saw a black cat approaching him. DC does seem to appear most often in the basement crypt under the Capitol building where Washington's remains would have been laid. So, of course, cats were not an uncommon sight in the building at the time of this telling, which is the 19th century. But as this cat approached the guard, it grew in size until it was as large as a tiger. And then the cat pounced on the guard, who fell down and tried to protect himself. But by that point, the creature had vanished in midair. This is the common thread of stories of the demon cat that he will appear first to be the size of a normal cat, but as he runs toward the victim, picks up speed, grows in size until he almost seems to envelop the victim before disappearing, so just continues to grow in size. Apparently, some sightings have literally scared people to death in the days following their encounter with DC. Another aspect of this story is that the appearance of the cat have been linked to national tragedies as well as presidential transitions. The cat is most often seen or reported as being seen in times when the presidency is being transferred from an old president to a new president. And like I said, he's also seen before instances of great American tragedy. He was said to have been seen prior to the death of President John Quincy Adams. He was purportedly seen before the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln, prior to the October 1929 stock market crash, and prior to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Some sources claim that he was also seen on September 10th of 2001, so the day before the terrorist attacks in New York on September 11th, 2001. His presence, I, he's called the demon cat. There doesn't seem to be much demonic about him, but his presence 
is certainly seen as malevolent or at least as a foretelling of some disastrous or tragic event. Just as a side note, I was talking about this story with my parents in Ottawa this weekend, and my father said that if DC is known to foretell tragedy, like why is the CIA or the FBI or some official body not tracking his appearances and disappearances and somehow like stopping tragedies before they happen, which is not a bad point, actually. Let's take DC a little bit more seriously and, and maybe work to prevent these national tragedies. Coming back to our tour guide from the Capitol building, Live in Good. Basically, at the time that the cats were working in the Capitol building to reduce the rat population, the guards who worked at the building were placed there because of their connections to other family and friends in Washington, D.C. And apparently these guards were not particularly good at their jobs. They would often drink on the job and fall into drunken stupors on the job. So Livin' Good has this theory that the earliest stories that the guards had about their encounters with D.C. was that they might have passed out drunk and fallen on the ground and woken to like one of the rat hunting cats on top of them and in their drunken stupor, the animal waking them up, being on top of them, they just totally misimagined its size and reported it as being massive and pinning them to the ground. Living Good thinks that a lot of the early stories about encounters with DC might have been fueled by alcohol or alcoholic stupors. So I do have some first source recounts of encounters with the cat. This one comes from the Philadelphia Press, was published on October 2nd of 1898. Quote, The demon cat is said to have made its appearance again after many years of absence. This is a truly horrific apparition and no viewless specter such as the invisible Grimalkin that even now trips people up on the stairs of the old mansion which President Madison and his wife Dolly occupied at the corner of 18th Street and New York Avenue after the White House was burned by the British. That, indeed, is altogether another story. But the feline spook of the Capitol possesses attributes much more remarkable, insomuch as it has the appearance of an ordinary pussy when first seen, and presently swells up to the size of an elephant before the eyes of the terrified observer. The demon cat, in whose regard testimony of the utmost seeming authenticity was put on record 35 years ago, has been missing since 1862. One of the watchmen on duty in the building shot at it then, and it disappeared. Since then, until now, nothing more has been heard of it, though one or two of the older policemen of the Capitol Force still speak of the spectral animal in odd whispers. End quote. So this was a story that really captured the interest of not only the crowd in Washington, D.C. in the 1800s, but sort of of the entire country. And these stories seem to have been treated realistically, despite the maybe less than reliable nature of the guards who were seeing the cat. Here I have a, another sort of account of the cat that actually made its way into the congressional record. These are official documents that tell of encounters with the cat, which I think is pretty remarkable and certainly says a lot about the legend's staying power. So here we go. Quote, this was a particular problem late at night, after the building had closed and the members and visitors had departed. 
Perhaps this situation accounts for a variety of ghost stories that have been told down through the years. One of the oldest stories is recounted by newsman John Alexander in his book of Washington Ghost Stories. It concerns the denizen of the capital's lower reaches, Demon Cat. As the story goes, Demon Cat always waits until its victim is alone. The animal's prey are generally members of the Capitol Police Force. One victim told of encountering the infamous cat on a winter's eve. As it walked toward the policeman, the cat began to swell. The guard felt paralyzed as he stared into the glowing, piercing eyes that came closer and closer and grew larger and larger. The animal swelled to the size of a giant tiger, yet never lost its unmistakable cat-like form. Its purring changed to a ferocious snarl. There was a deafening roar as the monstrous animal leaped, with claws extended, toward its victim. The guard couldn't move. His feet seemed nailed to the floor. He covered his face with his arms as the giant animal seemed just inches away from landing on him. He screamed. Nothing happened. The demon cat vanished into thin air as the man screamed. The trembling guard stood alone, the corridor deserted, the silence pierced only by his breathing. His limp body was covered in a cold, clammy sweat. He felt drained. The narrow marble hallway now reminded him of a tomb. The guard shuddered, tried to pull himself together, and headed back to his desk. For some reason, he just didn't feel like finishing his rounds. This grisly feline was blamed for an elderly guard's fatal heart attack, and the cat is reputed to appear only on the eve of a national tragedy or upon the changing of presidential administrations. End quote. So that appeared in congressional documents in 1981. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Rarely, I think, do ghost stories or ghost legends make their way into political documentation or historical records. So coming back again to our tour guide, Living Good, he, again, he's not bothered by people who come to the Capitol building and right away ask him about D.C. as opposed to the building's storied history or about you know, or ask about Washington himself. He says that ghosts are important to the countries and to the building's history. Quote, they humanize the building. One of the things I try to get across to people as I'm giving a tour is that the spirit of the people who built the building and the people who have acted out history in it are still there and you can feel it. End quote. And that's about as accurate a statement as I can think of regarding my own belief in ghosts. Even after eight years of working in haunted buildings in and around Ottawa and seeing and hearing some strange things, things that may have kept me up at night on more than one occasion, I don't know if I believe in traditional like interpretations of ghosts. What I do know is that those buildings that we toured in, they do hold some of the energy of what happened inside of them, good or bad. I really do believe that. So that quote, a tour guide after my own heart, he just sounds like someone who I might get along with. So that is the story of the demon cat of Capitol Hill, and apparently was, was last seen just prior to the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001. I did find a pretty hilarious Twitter account from the perspective of the demon cat, who was warning... America and American citizens about the transference of power from Obama to President Trump. I'm not going to get too political on this podcast, but it was it was a pretty 
pretty funny uh, bit. Also, just as a side note, there's a professional sports team named after DC. The DC Demon Cats are a women's professional rolling skating team, so that's kind of fun. The article that I was reading claim that Demon Cat is the only ghost in the United States to have a sporting team named after it. So that may or may not be true, but it's a fun idea. And that is the story of DC Demon Cat of Washington, DC. Thank you for listening. Another feature of the new and improved podcast will be its length. I'm hoping to keep things short and sweet between 25 and 30 minutes. I heard some feedback that that's a good length for a lot of listeners. Again, if you have any feelings about that, please do reach out and let me know. Everything is in flux. Everything is being sort of worked on and tweaked from week to week. So if you have any thoughts or opinions, just let me know. And believe me, I'm going to take them to heart. Just as with the previous podcast, I'm hoping to release a new episode every week, every Wednesday. This is our first episode post rebranding. I'll continue to have a new one for you every Wednesday from here on out. Now, please, the absolute, if you like the idea of this podcast, if you like this episode, the absolute best way to let that be known is to subscribe to the podcast and to leave a review, like a written review and a starred review through Apple Podcasts. That's the best way for you to show your love for the podcast and for like other people to find the podcast and and potentially listen and like it as well. So if you have it in your heart to do that, I would really appreciate it. Otherwise, you can find me by email at afraidofthebarkpodcast at gmail.com, on Facebook at AYAOTB Podcast, on Twitter at Afraid of the Bark, or on Instagram at Afraid of the Bark Podcast. Reach out with any comments you might have. If you feel so inclined to like or retweet or comment on content on those platforms, again, that would be super helpful to me. But especially if you could resubscribe, re-review this new version of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or, or wherever you get your podcasts from, be that Spotify or Pocket Casts or whatever, it would just be immensely helpful. And now I'm going to stop begging because it it just feels wrong. And I, I, I do want you to come back next week. Thank you so much for being here with me on the other side of this microphone. Thank you so much for continuing to listen after my brief hiatus. And I'm really excited to be back because this story is just the first of so many that I want to explore or tell in a little bit more depth. And I guess that's it. That's the end of episode one. And as I always do, I will leave you today by simply saying, I hope that you have sweet dreams tonight. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 